Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Michel Valstar, CEO of Blue Sky AI. With Blue Sky AI, we really wanted to grab a big problem and try to solve it, not just conceptually, but all the way through to implementing it, validating it, making it self-sustaining, making it actually value generating in the end. And perinatal mental health, you know, roughly half of the people on this planet will give birth to a child at some point, okay? And 10 to 20% of those women will suffer, unfortunately, from poor mental health. These are extremely large numbers. We hope to help a very large percentage of these people, but even if we could only help 10% of the people that suffer from this, it's still a massive contribution to humanity. This is Michel. He's a visionary scientist and a newfound entrepreneur. He's the founder and co-CEO of Blue Sky AI and remains a part-time professor at the University of Nottingham, where he's also the deputy director of the Biomedical Research Center Mental Health and Technology Program. Having worked for 15 years on computer vision and machine learning for facial expression analysis, Michael now wants to see his groundbreaking research turned into real products to improve the lives of many people. He's particularly interested in solving the problem of self-management of mental health using technology that runs privately on people's own hardware. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Michel to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the world of treating mental health. We discuss why this domain is still in the dark ages and what can be done with technology to take it to the 21st century and make a meaningful impact. We explore what it takes to build solutions people in different demographics actually love to use day to day and build a trustworthy relationship with. We also discuss how to take on this massive global problem with a very small team while being resourceful and profitable very early on in the journey. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, by creating something for everyone, will end up pleasing no one. Secondly, how you can speed up time to market by working with partners that break your stuff. Thirdly, how leveraging one product category can become the funding source for realizing your big vision. And fourthly, 
Why the two core selection criteria for picking your projects should be alignment with vision and employee motivation. Hi Michel, thank you for being a guest on the podcast today and for making time available to tell the story about Blue Sky, your company. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Tom. It's a great pleasure to be here. It's a great pleasure on my end as well. I mean, I was doing my research and I'm always looking out for the stories we can tell how our technology and people, if you blend them in the right way, what, what type of value they can deliver. And that's what I saw in your company. And I forgot who recommended me to look at your company. It must have been someone that I met either on Lunch Club or through my podcast. But yeah, it's definitely a fascinating story. And that's what I like to, to discuss. Before we start, a little bit about you as a person. If you would have to describe yourself in, in a couple of words, what characterizes you as a person or entrepreneur? Well, I usually introduce myself as, you know, I'm an electrical engineer who's the son of a psychiatrist ending up doing AI. So in the end, in a sense, by studying facial expressions and people's, in a sense, mental health and mental state, I, in a very roundabout way, started um, basically doing what my father used to do, looking at, at people's reasons for behaving in particular ways. I've always been really intrigued about what drives people, what motivates people, and I find it intriguing to look at people and, and, and from a distance see what, what, what makes them tick. I used to live on a shopping street on the third floor, and I used to love just sitting there watching people going by on the streets and, and seeing from a little distance what, what makes people, you know, work and, and behave on a day-to-day -day basis. And that, that has, you know, has really been the focus of my work for a very long time now. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I see that you are, on the one hand side, you are the CEO of this company. On the other side, you do a lot of work for, well, research work, university type work. And I mean, everything that I think that's the red line that brings it all together is, is indeed facial recognition and facial expressions. So when you started your company, Blue Sky, and, and you told me it's about one and a half year ago, 18 months, what was the big idea behind it? What was the problem that you saw in the market that was screaming for a solution like you're, you're delivering here? So the, the big problem really is the early detection and the objective monitoring of mental health. There, compared to other medical conditions and other areas in medicine, mental health and psychiatry is in a sense in the dark ages. It does not make use of technology at all. The assessment methods, diagnos diagnosis methods are really quite subjective. Either the self-reported measures that people do themselves are subjective from, you know, from, from the person reporting it itself, but even observers, so clinicians doing rating skills, that still includes a large amount of subjectivity. And really, this isn't entirely necessary anymore, okay? We, we have uh, lots of methods that that can track your behavior over time objectively using technology. And I think this is the real opportunity. Now, it just happens to be that my research and our company has technology that can recognize facial expressions incredibly well and incredibly fast and can do that on a person's mobile phone 
rather than in the cloud. So we can also do it super privately without yep. people being worried about it going away. So I think that is the real challenge we are, we are addressing. And I can see the problem there. I mean, and the, well, the, that early detection part is maybe the issue that it's also these type of things are detected too late. Yeah. When you like they can, can't do anything about it anymore. Yeah. Or it's much more costly to do something about it in the late stage. Yeah. yeah. So what is the opportunity if you get this right? If this technology is being used by the, your everyday person, what will the world look like? Well, we're focusing primarily on recognizing mental health issues in pregnant women and, and okay. new mothers. So what it would look like is a lot, a much smaller cost to healthcare, but perhaps much more importantly, happier families, happier mothers, and happier children. About 72% of the cost the, you know, that people have attributed to poor mental health in perinatal conditions, 72% of that cost is actually adverse effects to the child. And, you know, and, oh, yeah. and a lot of that is very long-term and, 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 and develops over, long, over very long periods of time. But the well-being of the child, as well as the mother, are key concerns for us. So, yeah, I mean, what, what intrigues me at the end, because we were talking about it before, well, before we started, recognizing, for example, anxiety or depression or pain or ADHD, they're all conditions that, I mean, are, are much, well, there are really global problems. Why did you specifically focus on a very, very narrow niche of that, like pregnant women? I suppose... I've been working in my academic career for a long time with, you know, in a broad range of topics. And quite often you, t you take a project here and there, you work on something for two years and then you have to get funding for something else and you go up. And with Blue Sky AI, we really wanted to grab a big problem and try to solve it, not just conceptually, but all the way through to implementing it, validating it, making it self-sustaining, making it actually value generating in the end. And perinatal mental health, you know, roughly half of the people on this planet will give birth to a child at some point, okay? Yeah. And 10 to 20% of those women will suffer, unfortunately, from poor mental health. Yeah. These are extremely large numbers. You know, I know. Uh, we, hope to, we hope to help a very large percentage of these people. But if, even if we could only help 10% of the people that suffer from this. It's still a massive contribution to humanity. Now, I mean, the reason I'm asking is a little bit teasing, maybe also maybe not, little, not, not, not fair in, in that sense, because a lot of entrepreneurs at the end think, okay, if I can solve, let's say this word is depression, it's a huge market. Well, but you at the end, what you're, what you're demonstrating here is you focus on a, a, well, apparently smaller niche. You can do a far better job, have a far bigger impact but the market is still big enough. The market is rather than Rather than go generic and do sort of sort of an okay job, you decided to go to nail it. Yes. And look, partially what we're doing, our technique requires us to build technology that people engage with, right? And if you want technology that people can really engage with, really trust, really can work with on a day-to-day -day basis, you cannot build something for everyone. Right? You can't build something that a 12-year-old teenager loves just as much as a 30-year-old mother and just as much as a 50-year-old man in, in their midlife crisis. That's not possible. You have to, in that sense, our technology needs to be crafted from one demographic to another. And that's another reason why we didn't just you know, 
make a solution for everybody because I think uh, that doesn't work anyway. Well, I mean, I, I think you hit the hammer on the nail, the nail on the head. <laughs> that you also need the other side of it. You can have a fantastic solution, but if the user is not engaged or not motivated to use it in the beginning, I mean, if I would know, I mean, of course, I'm not a woman, but if my wife would have known about your solution when she was pregnant a long time ago, my God, she would be super motivated to use it just to avoid that negative route. Yeah. I mean, I said a lot of things about how this actually will benefit humanity, and I think it will. Of course, there is a great value here as well. And when women are pregnant, they are aware now of the risks of mental health, and they are willing to spend to protect themselves. And so, you know, it may well end up that that in some territories, women will pay for this protection themselves. In other uh, territories, it will be provided by a national health provider. That depends where we go. But it is clear that it's not, you know, it's not just doing good for the world. There is there is a real market here, clearly. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you also told me that what your well, your business is life one and a half year, but you're already profitable. So that proves again that it is possible to be a startup and go a long way with that and be profitable in record record time at the end. Yeah, I think in that sense, it's all about having a great team. So part of our strategy when geography was still a thing, it seems to be completely annihilated by by Zoom <laughs> at the moment. But we took a decision to be Nottingham focused so nottingham is a city in the, in this in the middle of england it's got a great university it's actually got two universities but it's not london but the benefit is that you know we have access to great talent locally yeah. who want to stay locally which means that we can we can run our business without let's say the crazy bay area salaries or the crazy london area salaries which helps when you want to build a, a startup company at fairly with fairly limited capital in the beginning and that means that we could we could actually make a profit quite quickly we had i mean i was an academic starting with but we already worked with industry on on a fairly regular basis and actually it's been about five years ago or so ago that i started making fairly let's say practical systems that actually went into products out there yeah so you had sort of yeah a running start already exactly what triggered me as well by the way that you were talking about territories my first podcast was an, an interview with Mauricio Vecchione. He is uh, he's working for a for an organization, not a, not for profit organization that really invests techno- in technology around the world, particularly in the third world countries. And he was talking about catalytic invention, and he was talking about the three A's: applicability, affordability, and accessibility. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you were talking about territories, it reminded me of that because this is at the end. You know, if, if you're pregnant. It doesn't really matter where you live or where you, <laughs> you just, I mean, but the issues can be all the same. Is it a goal also to make this technology yeah, available according to those, those 3A type patterns so that you, you try to make it as, as low cost and accessible as possible? Yes, it is. There is a small snag in terms of acceleration and making it more widely adopted across territories. And that is... Yeah that our interaction uses natural language processing. So we use speech recognition to automatically recognize what somebody says so that we can drive the interaction. As Our app actually uses a virtual agent, a little virtual uh-huh. human that you talk to that gives you a bit of a rapport, which opens you up to talk a bit more openly to this character. And then we look at your facial expressions and the tone of your voice and, and what you say. So we look at that whole package of behavior. And yeah. 
that does mean that for every language we need to do work in order to to deploy there and therefore we will start with english and then probably go you know mandarin and and then perhaps spanish french you know the big the big languages first sure and after after a while it's going to be the uh, slang of, of south africa <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that's of course that's uh, that's a logical route. That's where the technology, of course, also uh, that if that's the dependency that it is. What I'm always interested in is to see that along the route of developing the product and bringing it to market, like what did you do? What did you do differently, for like architecture-wise, that that helps you to deliver this remarkable outcome? So, so one thing that we do differently is that we focus on speed and small systems very very early on and that actually meant that we could from the get-go deploy on mobile phones we can deploy on actually chips that are now not even powerful enough to drive a phone and that means that we before we even started sketching our full solution we knew that we had more than enough capability to do this The other thing is, like I said, I think we we built a very good team very quickly. We had a good support from the university, actually, in in spinning out. They were very pragmatic, giving me a lot of time and making sure that that we had access to to staff and and that kind of stuff. We kept costs low with our contracting and, and all that. And we were, you know, not lucky, but we made good use of our existing network of people to make sure that we got some projects in early when we select our projects, our development project, our OEM projects, which we do to, in a sense, you know, make some cash and get going, it's not just to make cash and, and keep going. It also allows us to improve our technology while we're doing these projects. Let me make a small interruption here. Michel just made an excellent remark about how they could focus on the essence, work on defensible differentiation and speed up time to market while becoming profitable very early on. They mastered the art to leverage the ecosystem. It's an art remarkable software companies master. They don't believe they need to do everything themselves. Instead, they focus on the part that are key to help set themselves apart and rely on the other parts, on partners to fill the gaps. And you can master these traits as well. I've got two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on amazon.com. Secondly, Get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share the experiences they have with the tribe and what they've come to value most. Back to the interview. So you're plugging into other technologies to make those solutions stronger. Exactly. And then we get better. Our own technology gets better by doing that as well. I've worked from a lot with a lab here called the Mixed Reality Lab. And they have quite an interesting way of working. They work a lot with artists and poets and musicians to give them all kinds of weird new technology. And the reason why they do it is because they break stuff. They use technology in ways that you've never, ever considered you could use it. Now, we, we don't quite work with artists, but that whole paradigm of getting your stuff out there, getting it used is super important because if you don't get it out there, how do you know that your, that your technology really works? True. 
Yeah, that's that's a key element. So, so how did you achieve that? I mean, and, and for example, also the what triggered me was that you said we went for speed and for really light deployments. Why was that so important? Well, that's because, I suppose it's because about you know four or five years ago when face tracking, for example, you know tracking the facial points on your face was it was just about possible, and we yeah. had some success with some very accurate at the time state of the art accuracy. And then we were contacted by companies. And I, th- I thought this was really intriguing because, again, I, w- I wanted my technology to be out there in the world and actually being used. But, of course, then we hit that bottleneck of it actually not being fast enough to do that. And now some people might then s- could have said, that's boring. That's not my, my research area. That's not what I want to do. I sort of went the opposite and said, like, no, no, let's invest some time in this. Let's get some of my team to actually break down why it's slow and, and, and can we just change certain things, make some small trade-offs in terms of accuracy to make it a lot faster. We've got some really interesting trade secrets that came out of that that we still use to this day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end, it's also sometimes you can you can hit all the requirements and still have a solution that nobody, nobody wants to use. And this is, perception-wise, a very important one. Yeah, I think in general... If you think about AI and and what it might be able to do in the future, one thing is that even though we have AI that can do perform superhuman, have superhuman performance on certain tasks, these are very individual select tasks. If we want to move this forward, then they need to do not two or three tasks, but they'll have to do dozens of tasks, right? So for every topic, being accurate is not enough. In the end, you'll have to be able to work together. And that means, A, being small, being fast. And then, of course, there's the whole issue of being able to reason about each other's predictions, which is a current area that interests me a lot. But I won't, I won't bore you with that. But this is the future, right? It's going to be robots and intelligent systems that combine information and predictions from, from a large variety of sources. And we're already doing that in Blue Sky AI by combining face and voice, plus some yeah. contextual features like your personality. In the future, it'll be far more than that. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, the posture and all of these things says so much about what people think and how they behave and how, they, how, well, how they're wired, but also what their current status is. And at the end, it's about you know, reacting in the right way and then trying to kind of yeah, bend it the right way or curve it the positive way again. Exactly. That's how these people are helped. Very interesting. So in that whole process of developing, getting into market, testing it, breaking it, were there any surprising byproducts that you identified or that you, yeah, that you didn't see coming but appeared to be very important? Good question. I could say that I anticipated everything, of course. <laughs> it's possible. That, that wouldn't be entirely true. I think the areas in which it was could be applied, I think, really surprised me. Just the... I always thought, you know, that people express in many, many different situations, but just just the range of areas in which this is important is phenomenal. And I think it's one of those things, right? As a human, we do this naturally. We do this without even noticing, but actually we make split-second decisions on whether we would trust somebody or not based on their behavior. Right? Yeah. It takes about five seconds to do so, and it takes half a year to unlearn that first impression. So, sure. yeah. 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 <laughs> well, but, but yeah, it's, it's this thing that you, you don't think about it, but it's so true. Yeah. And, and of course, 
what 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 else have I not thought about? The sort certain medical conditions that that I you know that I thought would never be it would never be useful for like uh, like dementia and uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's yeah. are clear examples of what we call behavior medics. So these are medical conditions that alter your behavior. And yeah. then if you can measure the behavior, you can send, say something about the medical condition. Yeah. And it turns out that there are far more conditions than I thought that I would apply to. Yeah, exactly. And that you can also spot way earlier in the process. I mean, yeah, just exactly. been following a Dutch program by people that had dementia were... Yeah, just onboarded into a high-end restaurant to be the servers and to be the people that cook. Fascinating process. And actually young people, you know, well, young between air quotes, but like in, in their early 50s or late late 40s. Yeah. Where for all of them, you hear in hindsight that people said, yeah, we started to recognize it already a couple of years ago. Yeah. So what if you could detect it way earlier in the process and possibly, yeah, do something about it. That would be fantastic. So in the development process, one of the things that always intrigued me is like, what has been a, a decision that you had to take that appeared to be really important for where you are right now? I think a really important decisions were recruiting people and not just recruiting people, but, but taking that leap of saying, this is not just somebody who works for me, but you know, this is, this will be, the CEO of, of the company, right? This is the person who will, with me, lead the company. I found that hard. Same thing with some advisors. Some advisors where you, the first time meeting them going like, oof, no, I'm not going to work with this this person. But then you see the results coming back, right? And you see how incredibly valuable they are. So I think I've been very positively surprised by my own inability to judge people in the commercial domain about what makes a great advisor, what makes a not so great advisor. And I've luckily I've been convinced many times by people that no, 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 go ahead and you'll really value it in the end. And I've been very positively surprised almost every time. Good. Well, I mean, that's, that's always interesting because sometimes you have to, to, to set emotions aside and just go for, yeah. For what's best for the company at the end. And maybe it's also because of the bias and the, yeah. It is best biased. There is emotion. Yeah. There is, exactly. you know, this business business is new to me. I mean, I've been doing it now for, for a few years, but it was very new to me when I, when I began it. And accepting that I'm not the person with the ultimate knowledge in that area was perhaps sometimes difficult for me. <laughs> But, uh, but uh, yeah, on the other hand, it gives great comfort to be able to rely on a set of great advisors and a great board. And I now fully appreciate that we are working as a team and this corporation actually works with one goal. And, that, and that's a great thing to see what we can achieve together, which is much more than any of us could have achieved individually. I think you're hitting the, the right points there. It's the team effort. It's about alignment around the goal. And I was talking to someone, Radhika Dut, who is currently working on a movement called the Radical Product. And she was talking about velocity, that a lot of people hope to get a velocity, but it gets in speed instead because everybody, every division, every person is just going fast on their own track, but mm-hmm. all in, the, in, the, in a different direction. And if you align everybody, that's where you get yeah, the velocity out of it. That I think it was a very great visual spiel on that to say what, what you can achieve together. 
You want to achieve um, impact in a sense, right? Maximum exactly. volume, a maximum, maximum mass and maximum speed in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because that's what you need. And no matter whether you're a small startup, because everybody's saying, yeah, but startups are nimble. But it's maybe even more important when you grow up and get the scale that you don't lose that. And another argument that I recently heard from someone that made me really laugh was if you see smart people do stupid things, it often has to do with incentives that are not aligned. <laughs> you get the most crazy, the most crazy things. It's, the product is available. It's, you're selling it. You're profitable from it. What have you learned from selling the solution and what became your pivot moment or your breakthrough moment that it started to take off? Yeah, okay. So, so I suppose the caveat there a little bit is that what we're currently selling and selling well is APIs to our, our basic technology, our face trackers, our facial muscle action recognition systems. And, and that works well. And we do that with, with individual producers. Yeah. So I don't think we have hit that inflection point yet where we will grow really fast. I mean, that will happen once we introduce our health and well-being product, which will be next year. That will be our own B2B2C okay. product. And at that point, we hope to see real market learnings. What we have learned so far for our own market is that actually this market is much bigger than we thought the OEM market itself we haven't gone out to find any clients. All clients have come to us and we've been very selective so far. So in a sense, that means that there is a much larger demand than supply in this area at this point. Great. I can imagine that. And of course, a very good one to get traction to deliver something that makes another solution a lot more valuable. And I also realized that then you're sort of depending on how... What, what kind of machine they have behind it in order to get that leap. What intrigues me here is your point about being very selective. So what was that selectivity about? And, and where, when do you say yes and when do you say no? So my business partners would like me to say <laughs> that the selectivity is primarily to take projects on that also increase our own technical capability, doing creating technologies that are already on our product roadmap. Because... Now we're getting a double, double whammy. In all honesty, we all we're also sort of driven towards sol- problems that intrigue us. Given the type of person that we employ and the types of problems that we solve, I need to make sure that both me and and the team are excited about and yeah. about the problems they're solving and, and 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 are motivated. So in a sense, in the end, it's a combination of the two. We won't take on projects that don't benefit our own technology stack. And and on the other hand, we take on projects that we think are exciting. I can only only applaud for that. It's focusing on the essence and see where you can can, can get leverage because the moment you start to kind of do the opposite, it becomes all short-term and you get get pushed in all kinds of directions. But here you you stay on course. You just get a couple of people on your way to fund it, which is not a bad thing. I wrote this book, The Remarkable Effect, that was published in February. When I speak to entrepreneurs like you, I always want to get your perspective on what do you believe is required to build a software business that people talk about. I'd like to get your perspective on that. From our perspective, it's creating a solution that on the one hand, people readily go, wow, if that would exist that would really solve a lot of problems. Well, 
whereas at the same time balancing that out with making sure that it's technology that people think could actually exist, we sometimes suffer from the problem that AI can scare people. AI can sometimes, people sometimes can get confused about what is science fiction and what is real in many different ways. So I think making sure that the, the market is ready, making sure that you, you bet on a horse that is ready to run the race and, and be, be accepted in that race, I think is important. As a software company that operates in what is still largely a traditional biosciences investment area, where we're an AI company working, building a medical device, right? We do sometimes have to convince people saying, you do understand that, that there are hardly any costs to scaling, right? We, we don't have a factory that builds software instances. We, you know, that, the Play Store does that for us, right? So it can, be, it can be interesting convincing people who are not naturally used to software solutions and AI solutions that, we, that actually building AI solutions to medical problems is a completely different ball game in terms of investment, in terms of scaling, in terms of staffing, and finding the right investors is frankly not that easy. I mean, there's enough out there, there's enough interesting people who do get it. Because they come more they come more from the hardware side. A lot of people come from the hardware side or from the drug side, the pharmaceutical side. Yeah. Yeah. These are the traditional ways of treating medicine. AI and, and software are very much new kids on the block. Exactly. Of course, now with the right. new MDR, which came in, what is it, April 2020, Ooh. with the new MDR coming in, which came in in April 2020, this has changed because a lot of software devices that used to be just you know, health, you know, unregulated are now regulated. So I think we're going to see a lot of change there. Yeah, that's fascinating. And you're completely right. You know, software, that is the way to deal with this and to scale it out. So... Yeah, I mean, I got I got a lot of questions around that that whole thing of bet on the right horse and be accepted in the race. I mean, can you give one example of what you meant with that? Yeah, I've seen companies working in what some people call emotional AI or emotion AI that were creating solutions, and the market wasn't ready for that yet. Yeah, right. So people either didn't believe it yet, or they, gotcha. or they they weren't aware of the what you could do with it. Sometimes oversimplified expectations of the market that emotions are always happy, sad, angry, right? And that's all you can express. <laughs> 21 emotions, come on. Yeah. That would <laughs> be a very, very dull world. So I think for a long time, the market wasn't ready for a lot of these things. And the same yeah. thing, right? When, who would have believed about five years ago that you could basically diagnose mental health conditions using a mobile phone app? That needed time, right? That needed time to be accepted. But on the other hand, you can't be too late, right? Because if you get into the race too late and, and, and there's already a number of runners out there, yeah. then, then how can you do it? So, so that timing is, is, when it comes to these new technologies, is crucial. It's such a repetitive thing. Timing, yeah. timing, timing. Yeah. I mean, in my book, I write it about it as well. I mean, actually, you had a lot of examples about how the timing, to get the timing right, also to have the tidal waves kind of building up together so that it yes. creates this massive wave behind you. But you're so right on that. So from what you've seen in the market so far and the, the solutions that have been created, what have you been most proud of? What is an anecdote that you keep telling everybody? 
Yeah, we're not the ones we're most proud of. We're not allowed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but we took a one of our technologies and one of our face trackers, and we got the spec from the producer about what it had to run on, and we basically went like, right, okay, so this has to become about a hundred times faster than it currently is. And we went away and I was like, oh, let, let's think about that for a couple of days, and we actually managed to get it that fast. So we're really proud of that. It'll go into a piece of technology that will be launched sometime at the end of this year, probably. Everybody will see it. Everybody will talk about it. Nobody will know that we're in it, <laughs> unfortunately. But it's I'm super proud of that. So that's really intriguing now. <laughs> keep my eye open for it. But no, I mean, in general, we have been a company that delivers to specification, on time, to budget. And that's because we always, you know, we under, under promise. Uh, over under promise. <laughs> but in general, look, I said it a few times, I'm so happy with the team that we work with. It's a smooth, well-oiled machine and we get so much done with a team of eight. I just hope and, and I will try everything I can to make sure that we will still operate this efficiently next year when we'll be 16 people and the year after that when we'll hopefully, do- hopefully double that. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see the excitement in your eyes here. So yeah, being an entrepreneur, having been through this journey, launching the product, seeing, seeing how it's adopted, if you would have to give advice to other aspiring CEOs or CEOs that are trying to kind of pivot their business in the, in the right way, what would it be? I think my advice would be to, on the one hand, seek a lot of advice from a lot of people. But on the other hand, don't be afraid to take your own course and to make your own decisions in the end, you'll have to live with it, firstly. And secondly, there's nobody as well-placed as you to make these decisions, right? But be open-minded and allow yourself to be convinced, you know? And if you really, really don't think something is right, just put it to your advisors and your you know, the people you work with like that. Like, and I, I'm unconvinced. Convince me. Tell me, yeah. why is, is what you're saying is such a good thing? And then at some point, if they come with arguments and that are you know, undeniable, then, then make, be brave and change exactly. your mind. Uh, being exactly. fickle in that way is, is fine. I think that is my biggest one. And for perhaps other academics that might be listening to this who are perhaps considering becoming an entrepreneur, I think absolutely try it. You know, it's such an exciting journey. If it's not for you, you'll notice pretty quickly, right? When they start to... <laughs> When they start asking you to make budgets and all that kind of stuff, and if you really can't do that, then you're probably, that's it's not for you. But I really enjoyed it. I found it really exciting. As you said, this whole journey has been fantastic, and I hope it'll never stop. So, yeah, I would encourage people to try it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how I ended my book, Just Start. It might yeah. look crazy until it's not, which was a famous quote from another entrepreneur, which I forgot the name of, but it's so true. So, so what is next for you? Where do you want to be in, let's say, 12 months' time? Because uh, let's keep it in months. Yeah. So in 12 months' time, we want to have our, our own product out there being sold in the fertility and pregnancy markets. We want to have our clinical trials well underway, just about finished. And perhaps quite importantly, I think at that point, I hope I can spend a lot of time making our technology even better. Um, so really focus on, on making making sure that we will always world-leading technology in there and always be a year or two ahead of the competition. Nice. Very good set of goals and aspirations to have. 
So where can people go to find out more about Blue Sky or to connect with you to say hi? Well, you can always email me on michel at bluesky.com or you can visit bluesky.com. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Michel. Inspiring call. Learned a great deal. This is, by the way, a topic that's dear to my heart, that type of technology and also how you deal with the problems that are that we can solve with that type of technology. So thanks for your time and for sharing this. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And this ends my conversation with Michel. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Michel Valstar, CEO of Blue Sky AI. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.